Welcome to Healthcare Disrupted, where conversations, topics, and innovators share how they are disrupting healthcare to change a cookie-cutter healthcare system to become more innovative, creative, and result-driven. Now, here are your hosts, Renee Lumain and Jasmine Vilas. All right. All right. Welcome back to Healthcare Disrupted. I'm your host, Renee Lumain. And I'm Jasmine Villiers. Today is December 11th, 2020, and this is our ninth episode. We have two wonderful guests today, Joan Melendez and Dewan Hawkins. Joan has over 25 years of experience with the build and optimizing of healthcare applications, specializing in perioperative anesthesia and trauma workflows. Joan created Accelerate UDI with the goal of significantly improving patient safety at the point of care by leveraging the power of the UDI for medical devices and tissues. Dewan is a principal driver for Accelerate UDI's operational excellence, business growth, and strategic partnership within the healthcare industry. Dewan oversees Accelerate UDI's critical business functions such as sales, operations, finance, marketing, human resource, and client education. Without any further ado, welcome to Healthcare Disrupted. How are you guys doing today? Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So I had a great, you know, opportunity to speak with the both of you guys last week. And, um, you know, for me being in the healthcare industry, I think I may have kind of shared a little bit of my background starting off in the military. And, um, you know, when I saw UDI, you know, Accelerate UDI, the first thing, you know, I kind of thought about was like, wow, you know, what is this company about? And it kind of done a little bit of my research. But, I am really thoroughly excited to, to, to even, you know, learn more of the great things you guys are doing, but most importantly about our listeners. And, you know, I just, you know, uh, you know, I guess to kind of kick it off, uh, Joan, if you don't mind, just kind of, you know, telling us just a little bit more about yourself and your experience and kind of what kind of led you to this. Sure. Again, thanks so much for having me on your show today. Congratulations on your ninth episode. Thank you. Really exciting. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I started off, you know, um, just really curious about in healthcare way back when. You know, I've been doing this in healthcare since I was 15. My mom's a nurse. Um, and then um, just fast forward, I uh, started doing consulting for physicians' offices and then moved into the operating room area and noticed uh, a lot of time wasted. Uh, in documentation of implantable devices, um, in use of expired devices, um, and also recalled that we were then having to go like research the charts to see what patients that we implanted these items in. And then, you know, further fast forwarding again, looking at um, what is available um, on the market um, mm -hmm. to help, you know, bridge these gaps, you know, we want to make sure focuses on the patient. We want to make sure that right. people are aware of what you're implanting. You know what a VIN is, right? Your vehicle identification number. Do mm -hmm. you know what a UDI is? Probably not. <laughs> right. Everyone should know if you have an implant and it doesn't matter if it's tissue or if it's um, a medical device, like a heart cath or even, you know, kids have those ports for cancer treatment, right? Right. So anything that goes in or is used on your body should have a unique device identifier, UDI. Interesting. So um, looking at the FDA, for example, there's 15 plus databases that you would have to go to see just if the medical device is recalled. So there's just so much overwhelming information. Correct. And how do you try to get it? And how do you try to protect the patient? You know, and if you really look at the implants, there's been an 800% increase in recalls. That's significant. Mm. Wow. No, absolutely. So absolutely. on that note, when you say it, you said UDI, say it again, because I, I want to make sure I heard you right. <laughs> yes. UDI, what does that stand for? UDI is Unique Device Identification. Okay. All and, right. And, yeah. And the FDI, you know, the, the FDA, sorry, defined mm -hmm. the UDI a few years ago. Um, it went into full effect. Um, for all implantable devices, so class two and class three medical devices um, that um, are used, um, staplers, for example, 
um, is class two. Uh, what you wouldn't think is a class two is a mask. Mm. You know, an N95, that is a class two medical device. Oh, uh, so all of those products should have a unique device identifier. So when the FDA put this into effect, all the medical device manufacturers are supposed to have those, uh, the barcode and what's called a human readable component on their packaging so that, you know, we can translate and look to see, has it been recalled? Is it expired? Right, right. Human readable component. That's a pretty important Human readable piece, component, right? think, yes. Like, yes. Not just numbers next to the mark. Right. I love it. So, um, so when you say unique, that means unique. Each device, at, when it's produced, is is it has its own unique kind of uh, SKU number, I guess, or even more specific, as you said, yes. like a, a VIN number that says this belongs to. I'm giving this to you, Joan. So this is yours. Right. And if something yeah. happened, we yeah. would be able like to trace no it. No two vehicles have the same identification number. That's correct. Right? So same thing mm -hmm. with medical devices. So where we have different, you know, some medical devices might just have the, you know, basically be a model, right? right. Just only have a model number. Um, that's usually like our class ones, our band-aids. So those right. will go into effect in a couple of years, our band-aids. Um, it was supposed to go into effect this year, but it was delayed because of COVID. Um, so when we're using that UDI, it has to be in a barcode, as I said, in that human readable component so that we can scan the barcode and we can make sure that, is it legal to be used in the United States? Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, is it recalled? You know, all those patient safeties is a counterfeit. We have caught counterfeit items. You know, the medical device industry is not, um, you know, protected uh, to where they, we won't get counterfeit items. Gotcha. Gotcha. Incredible Very. the things that people do to make an extra buck on the, under the table, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing those with the COVID test kits now, right? Oh, right. Yes, uh, I've so heard. Again, so, you know, when you're looking at where we are right now, the danger with not being able to have a single source of information that you can trust, mm. I mean, you can go to the FDA. Correct. I'm not 100% loving it right now, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen, you know, they're a month behind in their data. Oh, wow. Um, they are a government agency, right? We all, yeah, <laughs> you know, these very are quick to move devices <laughs> that should have been pulled. Right, <laughs> but right. I mean, so, you know, we have these reliable sources, but how reliable are there? And if there's so many, you know, how can we research about that device? Joan, let me ask this question because, you know, you, you mentioned there's like 15 uh, databases of all this information. Just for recalls. Right. Now, is your system pulling the information from those databases or, or are you, you know, pulling information from those databases and also kind of creating your own database, if you will? Yeah, so what we've done is we have um, an application called UDI Clearinghouse, um, and it's a SaaS, so it's a software as a service application. Um, we have scraped every single FDA database. We scrape them every day. This is why we know that like the recall data right now, which should be through 1211, 1210 yesterday, um, on one database, it's uh, 1031. On another one, it's 1124. So, you know, it should not be that way because there are reports like um, a report that we actually quote um, that is really not true data because they're only looking at one of the databases. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So how, you know, how many more recalls or adverse events are really reported on these? And if you really look at how you go to report a medical device that you're having a problem with, mm -hmm. I can guarantee you that maybe 20%, and that's, and that's like a good average, 20% wow. of healthcare providers will go to the MDR or VARS to report an adverse event because it's just way too time consuming, way too time consuming. So again, when we have that barcode, right, we're able to, we sit on every single EMR, EHR. When we scan that barcode, we hit the good ID, which is an FDA database that says this product is a legitimate product. 
It's been registered with the FDA. It's gone through a 510K process. If it's a novel use, everybody knows that word now, <laughs> novel use. And right. then we return that data back into the EHR. Uh, so it's all actionable data. So we can report on it. We can then if there's a problem like we had last year, we had a bunch of problems with one stapler where it kept on misfiring. So okay. the doc, you know, and, and I, I keep on asking my hospital, did you report that yet? Because you know, we're trying to work with our hospitals and teaching them the importance of notification. Absolutely. Because if you look at the sister staples, staplers, the other model numbers mm -hmm. that have been recalled, right, right. the reported event that this doctor reported to us was the same. So in a situation like that, right, and let's say a hospital's having an issue with that supply, and let's say they get right on it, right? And they, um, you know, submit what the issue is. There's a recall. Now, let's say Hospital B may have that same stapler as well. Would they also get notified as well? Yeah, so good question. So, you know, people assume uh, that recalls are federally driven mm -hmm. and they're not, they're manufacturer driven. Mm -hmm. Recalls are voluntary. You're right. Correct. Okay. You're right about that. So there are, it's a voluntary process. So when the manufacturer identifies a recall, they go to the FDA and say, FDA, we have this product that we want to pull. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they're notifying the FDA and writing up all of the information about it. Since they already know it's a recall, they're right. going and talking to their customers and saying, we're going to be recalling this product. Okay. Um, the only problem is with that kind of uh, method is do you have a rep at every single hospital? Mm, no. You know what I mean? Right. Are you going to your favorite hospitals? Are mm -hmm. you going to hospitals that you don't have a relationship, Mr. Manufacturer, but your distributor does? Right. So, you know, you have these levels of notification. So if you really look at the FDA data, if you look at the initiation date of a recall versus mm -hmm. when the FDA actually posts the data, right. months, if not years later. That's so between those two time limits, yeah. you have recalls. You have a lot of potential issues. You have potential use. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. you, it's been recalled. The manufacturer, I'm recalling it on November 1st, and then uh, the FDA, well, I'd have to back up. <laughs> the, the, the manufacturer reports it like in August, and then it doesn't get reported until on the FDA website, which, you know, some people rely on because- mm -hmm. How are recalls communicated? You want to take a guess? How, how once they say we're recalling it, how are they communicating that out to By you? sending a postcard in the mail. <laughs> That's what I'm just, is it very close? You were quite close. Yep, yeah, yeah, it's a first class letter. So the FDA regulations say you can send it by first class letter. Wow. You can send it by mailgram, which was... I don't want to say outlawed, but the, the government actually, yeah, they did something. The government said you can't use mailgram anymore, but it's still in the language for recalls and telegrams. So okay. telegrams, mailgrams, and first class. Okay. They're, not, they're not, the manufacturers can't use mail, email yet. So wow. I went uh, to the safety, FDA safety meeting a couple of weeks ago and pleaded with them to please allow us to communicate recalls through email. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So I, I want to make sure that I'm clear on the origination. So you said you mentioned earlier about providers reporting. So is that a, your system can process requests from providers or from the say from the organizations that directly not having to go through the manufacturers, the healthcare organizations can right. So before we get into that recall phase, we're going to have adverse events, right? right. Mm -hmm. um, and if a manufacturer doesn't know that their stapler is misfiring, mm -hmm. how are they going to ever initiate a recall? Right. Right. So if you have less than 20% of your providers reporting adverse events through MDR, mm. it's yeah. going to take longer for that recall to even be mm -hmm. on the radar. Correct. I mean, look mm -hmm. at these breast implants, you know, True. um, some plastic surgeons are taking, uh, because remember there was a, a recall, uh, over 4 million implants recalled. Wow. Um, and that's because it's down to the lot number, 
right? Or the serial number. So each each breast has <laughs> a unique uh, right. serial number. <laughs> Sometimes they're packaged with a, you know with one, but usually they each have their own. Um, and they were the textured implants. They were actually causing cancer. Okay. Oh, but right. it's not really cancer because the minute you remove those breast implants, you remove the cancer. Wow. So they don't classify it a cancer. Gotcha. So, but you had all these women reporting these adverse events and right. falling on deaf ears. Mm. You know, three more women just died in August from breast wow. implants. And now you have docs or you, we've had docs and, you know, I brought this up back in, I think it was 2015 at another FDA conference or 2017. I'm, you know, the COVID has gotten all my dates. <laughs> Blurs, up. a big yeah. blur, right? We'll just but, say 2020. Um, Sometime this happened in yeah, we'll all say, oh, oh, okay, 2020. Right? 20, yeah, 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 exactly. The 2020 fog. Um, so way back, you know, a few years ago, I went to the FDA and said, the docs are using now because you removed the textured implants because they've been recalled because of the introduction of this cancer. Now what doctors are doing is they're taking the smooth ones and mm -hmm. wrapping that with mesh. Mm. It has not been authorized by the FDA. It has wow. not been authorized by the FDA. Yet doctors around the world really are, are doing this. And in, in this country, it has not been approved. Oh my goodness. That is the thing, I think the thing that I'll just add really quickly, just to kind of take the conversation a little bit back, just from a policy perspective is, you know, the UDI was introduced by the FDA as a way to track these devices from the manufacturer all the way down to the patient. Because what was happening is you were having patients that were ex experiencing adverse events. You know, they were having complications because they had a knee implant that was rubbing them the wrong way, their leg is swelling, their, yeah. whatever the circumstances are, they're communicating this to their doctor. Their doctor is somehow sharing this information with the manufacturer. You have these recalls that are happening. And there are other people that have that same device, whether it's a, a breast implant, it's a knee, um, knee replacement, it's a ball joint, it's a uh, it's some kind of mesh, it's some kind of rod, whatever that thing is, you have so many other patients that are out there that have that same thing. And the reality of it is, is that the manufacturer and or the distributors have really a relationship with the hospital, not necessarily with the patient. So, the, so just getting, so you have to think about this from the perspective of a recall happens, that recall is to incentivize or to enable that manufacturer to get down to not only the healthcare provider to remove the things from their shelves, right, that are bad, but right. also to engage with patients that have their items implanted within their bodies that also now need to have those things removed from their bodies so that they don't also experience the same kinds of adverse events that others have experienced that warranted the recall to begin with. Correct. And, and there are breakdowns in the communication that happens between all of those lines. And so the UDI, that unique device identifier, that one number is implemented that allows the traceability from manufacturer all the way through to the patient with the intention for companies like Accelerate UDI to come to bring together technology that allows healthcare providers to read that UDI, that electronic uh, barcode, um, to automate some of this processes, to lighten the load from the administrative, um, the, the administrative staff and lighten the load from the healthcare staff, and to also make it easier for you know healthcare providers and manufacturers to identify patients who are also pot at potential risk because right. they have these faulty items or these unsafe items embedded within their body in some way, shape, or form. And so you know the the, the issue is 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 broader than just a supply chain issue, right? Of how do we get things off the shelves that are bad? The issue is how do we prevent these things from ever being implanted in another person again? Right. And how do we communicate with people that already have those implants in them? Right. How do we identify them and communicate with them and say, you need to get this out. Yeah. You think about your car, if there's a recall on your fuel pump, 
You right. get an email, you get a phone, you got somebody calling you on your phone, you have, yeah. you know, you, you have letters that are being sent to you on a regular basis saying, hey, come into your, your local dealership, we'll take care of this for free, da, 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 da. But you don't have that with your medical devices. And right. these are the things that are supposed to be improving your life or giving you life. Right. And so when those things are, when those, the, the breakdown in communication fails or the communication fails, um, you know, it has a double impact to patients because now you have patients who have no idea, no idea whatsoever that they're walking around with a pacemaker whose battery could just shut out on them, Point in time. you know, or breast, breast implant that could, you know, that could cause cancer, right. you know, or a heart valve that could literally stop, you know, stop pumping or allowing blood to go through and they end up with an aneurysm or some other kind of thing that it's life-threatening. Or they're breaking out in a rash and they have no idea why. Right. But if they had the ability to easily report that, right, exactly. If they knew that they could, oh, my UDI, I just need to go in and and answer a few questions because it's already in my profile. Sure. Um, you know, it's just... it, it's all about that knowledge of that UDI. And and CMS um, actually put into regulation in promoting interoperability in 2019. Dewan was uh, mentioning this. Um, so in 2019, um, CMS put that regulation into play. So we have the FDA with the manufacturers on the UDI. So now the CMS is going, okay, now you need to let those patients know what they have. And you have to be able to provide them with the UDI. So, okay. oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I just want to ask one clarifying question. When a provider uses a medical device and they scan it just to make sure there's a recall or not, and let's say at that, you know, at that point in time, there's no recall whatsoever, right? And that, and that device get implanted into the patient. Let's say two, three months down the road, for whatever reason, oh, there's a recall, right? Does your system house well? So I guess we got you. We got your back. Right. <laughs> yeah. So and so because of that promoting interoperability, anything right. that you implant. So soon. So the prevention. So we want to prevent. We don't. Right. You know. So the minute the manufacturers notify us. So when the manufacturers are notifying the hospitals of this recall, they're notifying us as well. Okay. So when okay. and we're putting that into our system. So the minute we're notified of that recall. They right. pick up that medical device and they scan it, boom, prevents them from using. The scanner vibrates in their hand. They're thrown up with a warning. But anybody that has had it prior to that date, right. we also provide a report um, okay. and we mine the data. And because we're scanning, we're right. not typing, we're right. not making an error on that device. But exactly. we also do mine the data for the hospital. We look at when was that manufactured? We, we, we leave no stone unturned. We want right. to make sure that we identify every possible patient because you can't rely on your item master, on right. your inventory, because somebody might have brought it in through the back door. Right. Your patient got charged for it, but it was charged as a special item. Mm -hmm. So it's not in your inventory. So, yes. and then the nurse didn't document it properly because it didn't have a UDI number, but we had a reference number or a catalog number. So we look at all those parameters. We look at when it was manufactured so that we can look back to that manufacturing date is when we start the audit of the charts. Mm. So if it goes back, that manufacturing date goes back five years ago, we go back five years ago to make sure that we can't find any part of that number in a chart. We've had that happen. You know, cement, you can't take cement out once it's put in. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and the hospital chose to just monitor their patients. Interesting. They should, you know, had the patient known their UDI, right? Mm -hmm. yep. The hospital's chosen to just monitor them. If the patient knew their UDI, mm -hmm. had their, we're, we're working with another company called Track My Solutions because they provide an electronic card for the patient basically um so that and you know it's because we need to be able to keep that communication after the patient leaves so Correct. if they if it's scanned and that patient you know you know was uh, received that medical device within that you know from that manufacturing date that we scanned 
you know, they would be notified. Um, they, they would get automatic notification because Track My Solutions is hooked up with our um, UDI clearinghouse so that as soon as we get notified, we push to them. Awesome. So then their patients, whoever's registered, they get that warning as well. And the Track My Solutions is a free application. Gotcha. Right. Go ahead. I was just going to ask, so it sounds like there's clear cost savings here for healthcare, period, because we're talking about preventing complications if the patients that may be impacted by someone else's device, you know, going out of whack, that you guys are going to be able to reach out and communicate well or effectively and efficiently to the patients versus right now, it, it, they're, they're in the past, there has not been the best kind of way to mode of communication for, for all parties, right? So with that said, who exactly is the, the client of Accelerate? Is it the, the consumer? Is it the hospital system? Hospital, to make it more hospital systems or providers if they have, you know, like a surgical office. We also have an inventory component. Um, it's all about patient safety, right? So right now during COVID, any healthcare provider, any healthcare system that wants to use our inventory system so that they can check um, these products, we we allow we give them our inventory system for free. It's not the, the the point of care scanning, the prevention, but it's least so that they can build their inventory, check their inventory. Because even though we have these that, those fifteen recall databases, doesn't include any of the emergency use information. So anything that's been removed or recalled for emergency use is on the emergency use website. <laughs> Another place. We'll just make it more complicated. Let's throw that over there. Yeah. <laughs> you really think about that. That's that's been the challenge. I mean, you guys have an understanding of the healthcare industry. You know, you like to think that it is as advanced as it could be. Right. And yes, there is some really advanced technology and advanced medicine. But mm -hmm. when it comes to operational effectiveness in terms of just the day-to-day, -day, yeah. it's, it's like going back to the 50s. You have people that are, you know, at working off of, you know, spreadsheets and, 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 oh. and uh, flip files and, and clipboards of, 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 of forms that have to be filled out and quadruple it. it like, these, these are the inefficiencies that are ultimately impacting negatively our patient experience. So we specifically work with you know, healthcare providers in mind to lighten the load from an administrative standpoint, to remove manual documentation with medical devices, provide that warning, the checking and the identification and the prevention of unsafe medical devices at the point of care where, where care where it really matters the most to the patient, which is at the point of care, um, you would not believe how many recall devices are still in hospital supply today after months, if not years of wow. being recalled. Mm. There are items, if we were to do an inventory um, in your local you know, healthcare facility with our application and just check to see, you would be flabbergasted at how many items that have been recalled for serious issues life-threatening issues that are still on the shelves. They haven't been removed. They haven't been returned. They haven't been wasted. They're just sitting there. And a lot of them make their way into the health, the, 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 the surgery room. That's mm -hmm. why you still see these advertisements on television around, have you mm -hmm. had a mesh implanted in you at yeah. some point, you know, or, you know, are you suffering from, you know, whatever the, the thing is, you know, right. that's because there are so many of these supplies that are still, because of integrated processes, they're still sitting in these rooms. So when you know, you're building your case cart for the surgery and it says, oh, I'm gonna need this, 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 and this. And then the person goes to the, the supply room to pull those supplies, you know, they're pulling that stuff in and it then gets potentially used in a patient. And so our, our tool can be used at different points within the healthcare facility, but it's mostly intended at the point of care to say, okay, we're getting ready to implant cement, right? Scan, we beep. If it's recalled, if it's counterfeit, if it's expired, if it's um, if it's not part of the hospital supply because a you know a, a slick distributor decided to just leave it on somebody's desk and then they decided someone else picked it up and put it in the we we wow. warn against all of that. We prevent the the, the transfer of information into the the employee or the the patient record. Um, you know, to and warn against the use of that particular item because, again, that's where our product provides the most value. It's mm -hmm. saying, 
ah, you're getting ready to use it. Let's make sure that it's safe. And if it's safe, then it will parse the information into the health record. You won't get any warnings. It's, it's good and normal. But if it's not safe, then you know instantly that you just potentially prevented something that was not intended to do harm, but will potentially do harm to that particular, particular patient. Yes. That sounds like a phenomenal, I mean, everything about your concept is phenomenal for both patients. And then also I'm sure the legal departments in the hospital systems love you guys. The nurses love us more than anything. I bet, right, yes. From six minutes, because if you were to to type that out, six minutes versus, you know, five seconds, that's a huge savings. Oh yeah, everything costs. I mean, especially in healthcare, it's already costs us so much this the industry and, and as focus. you said all the inefficiencies yes this yeah, is <laughs> on the patient and the, the, and especially now you know given the current pandemic situation you know we have a majority of hospital staff has been you know furloughed or temporarily put on hold only critical staff is is, is on board because they're handling the most severe cases mm-hmm. and if you're working if you're working with a, a, a surgery patient that has 16 screws in their back, right? And you have right. to sit there for an hour and a half to type out all the medical data into the, the, the patient's health record for each one of those screws because it's required, right? And now you that's an hour and a half of your time that all you're doing is spending um, doing administrative work versus actually po- providing quality care to the patients that really need it, especially yeah. now. Yeah. So, and keeping your operating rooms and your procedure rooms, which are where you're making the money, moving, uh, moving, right? You know, I was just at a go live um, at the end of October for, you know, just to support an electronic health record that was going live in New York. I knew that they were not going to be able to find um, senior analysts such as myself <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know because people are, are not wanting to go out you know right. um, so perfect. I went out to support this hospital and it was the first time I've cried wow it was just because of the burdens that are put on the nurses in documentation because um, uh, they, they were not using scanning um, you know we had in the one week I was there I, I had 12 exposures Um, We didn't find out the patients um, had COVID until after they went through our department. You know what I mean? Um, We had, because it was an an EHR go live, uh, that EHR company brought in others from, you know, Kansas City and and other places around the country and um, introduced COVID into the work flow too. So, you know, the nurses don't, they need to focus on that patient. I agree. Agree. Whatever we can do to support them is, you know, really where we want to be. It's really interesting. And it goes into our, you know, our um, our disadvantaged communities as well. You know, so and I'll let Dewan speak on that. Um, But you know, whatever we can do to help with the with, you know. What's a VIN? What's a UDI? Right. (laughs) Yes. Education. Education is key. Yeah, I find it really interesting that you're speaking about this because we we both spend a lot of time on the administrative or business side of, of healthcare, not really on the front end. However, we've we have a lot of involvement on the EHR as it you know kind of translates into what we do. Um, However, I don't think I've ever really spent a whole lot of time thinking about what you just mentioned, where the nurses or the staff or you know the techs are are sitting there trying to 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 verify all of these different systems and and just for one surgery. I mean the, that amount of time potentially spent just on this one function, it's just a huge saver to be able to use a system like yours. I could 100% see value from all angles. So it's pretty phenomenal. Can I buy a scan? The thing is they're not validating. They're, they're not validating the, you know, they're not, um, they're not doing that validation of the, the, in the CMS requirement where you have to go make sure that that product is on the FDA good ID. Wow. Yeah. I was asking, can I buy a scanner for myself? So when (laughs) my family and myself you know, about to get a Christmas done. I'm going to tell the doctor, uh, let me stand it. It'll be your favorite new Christmas gift for all your friends, right? <laughs> In case you get a device implanted. Our, our, our short, our short goal, um, you know, is, you know, obviously 
you know, this, this education piece, which is why we were so excited to talk with you all and, you know, get uh, an opportunity to share our message with your audiences, you know, just bringing the awareness that, you know, you can't go into surgeries blindly thinking that, yeah. you know, that everything is safe just because, you know, you're, you, you trust your doctor. Um, and there are some big red flags that are happening right now. I think the other thing of it is, is that, you know, our ultimate goal is to work directly with manufacturers to help offset the cost uh, for technology like ours so that we can get it in every single healthcare facility and ultimately right. have some kind of certification so that you know, like, oh, if I go into X hospital that's in my neighborhood, I, or if I have to go to a hospital in my in my my hometown, I'm going to go to this hospital because they are certified using you know the latest technology to make sure that the, the mm -hmm. things that they're using from the you know the, the PPE that they have on their bodies mm -hmm. right to the implants they're putting in in bodies um, are all valid and safe versus that hospital over there that doesn't have that certification. So yeah. you know we've we've got some got a long way to go in order to make that happen. We've been having some really great conversations with manufacturers that are also, you know, really interested in um, both our data warehouse called UDI Clearinghouse, um, but also more importantly in, um, in the, you know, the, the barcode scanning solution that we're, we've just been talking about uh, because mm -hmm. there's, there's shared interest, right? Yeah, it, absolutely. It, it provides, you know, manufacturers with, you know, mitigated risk, right? And exposure to them because we are able to prevent unsafe devices that they, they that may be theirs and still on shelves are being implanted. And, but then also we have the patient safety benefit and for the hospital staff, to your point, you know, we're saving them tons of time, yeah. hours upon hours, every single week um, yeah. in aggregate can be redistributed back into either having somebody actually take a lunch a day, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, go home at a decent hour or get through more surgeries within the course of the day versus, mm -hmm. you know, having these bottlenecks because you have, you know, your staff sitting at, you know, their workstation <laughs> typing in for a good 20, 30, 40 minutes at a time, you know, following the, the event of a surgery. Yeah. Burnout so. starts to reduce that too. I think, I mean, you know, this burnout is, is for most providers less to do with the patients and more to do with all of the headaches from the, from the, from the red tape that we require in healthcare. So, yeah. And then some people are, don't want to even document. I am done. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'll let somebody else hear us. Here's the paperwork. Yes, have fun. Okay. Right. An interesting factoid <laughs> um, is that 25% of total healthcare costs in the United States yeah. is attributed to ineffective manual processes. I agree. Manual documentation. 25%. So if, if somebody's ever complaining about their hospital bill, regardless of whether they have insurance or not, 25% of that is just attributed to the these ineffective manual processes attributed to documenting um, mm -hmm. that our healthcare providers are required to do. And, you know, with the technology that is accessible to us today, right, right we right. can mitigate that. And that's the space that Accelerate comes in. You know, we're leveraging technology that already exists. Um, and of course, you know, our own proprietary um, intellectual property, but, you know, we're leveraging technology that is accessible to us today to reduce the risk, to mitigate this, this, this need to have manual documentation, to significantly increase the the accuracy of the documentation because you don't have errors and omissions and you right. know flubbing with the fingers and you know somebody mm -hmm. tapping you on the shoulder to ask you a question you forget where you were and mm -hmm. you know all of these things we mitigate a lot of those things but the most important thing is we improve the experience the healthcare experience for you know for patients that they're receiving no, absolutely for sure i mean i think about efficiency i think it really makes a big difference but also too i think about from the compliance standpoint of things too right i mean what you guys have now i'm curious to know do, do you have you guys thought about even having an app for providers to even have on their phone where they even get alert that way as well is that something that you guys thought about so we are, um, so we actually, Joan and I just had a conversation a couple of days ago about an app version, um, yeah. you know, and there are, there are, you know, a couple of apps that are out there. Um, and that is something that will likely be on our roadmap. I think the challenge that we'll have to figure out is what is the right application for that. Um, yeah. Again, because where the value comes in for us is our ability to read that information and parse that information into the hospital systems. Right. And that becomes a little bit challenging just from a technology perspective. Right. Uh, but 
you know, in terms of like being, in terms of having patients or, you know, just consumers who might be interested in learning a little bit more about like what information is out there or wanting to check their UDI, we do have our clearinghouse, which doesn't necessarily have to be accessed via an app, but it can be accessed by in a, its you know, website. So we can access it on any smartphone. Well, and, that one's mobile. And, and now we did it's mobile. We now we have a mobile version of. <laughs> and the good thing of it is, is that our, our UDI clearinghouse isn't just checking one source of data. We're, we're consolidating all of these pieces of data into one warehouse, our warehouse. We have, I would argue that we have the most complete single data set in the entire United States around medical device use and history and recalls because we're consolidating them all into one spot. And if you have, you know, like your paperwork from your hospital and you look at, you know, what was implanted, it'll say, your, it'll have your UDI on there. And if you type that in or you search for, you know, that, that particular item, you'll be able to see whether or not it has, there's ever been a recall or an adverse event or something like that against that. Right, I think the, from, from the patient perspective too, one of the greatest values that, that your system has is to be able to not just support the, the ones that are about to go into a patient, but what about the one that needs to get recalled, making sure that whomever just really recently received that can be notified effectively and efficiently. And that, that in itself, I think has so much value for, for, for all people, but, you know, especially on the patient side, knowing that, you know, they're going to be protected, that there's, there's someone who's advocating for their health and well-being with, with this device and not having to worry about experiencing like the examples we talked about earlier, the rashes, cancers and things, and not have any idea of a potential cause, just chalking it up to, well, it's cancer. Well, if you just removed the implant, right. And eventually that word, that, you know, word might get back to them based on that particular implant, but it might happen a lot faster with a system like yours and working directly with manufacturers as well, I think is, is, um, is key. Yeah. And I think that, you know, us partnering with track my solutions as well, I think is critical for the patient mm -hmm. because uh, track my solutions is free for the patient. They mm -hmm. can go and register. If you have implants right now, go register your implants. If you don't know what they are, go register your knee and then they'll help you you know, contact the, your hospital, you have 10 years to get that information, right? right. Hospitals only keep that, those records for 10 years. Right. You should know everything that's in your body. That, that is and right. that way, if you, if you register all your little implants with Track My Solutions, if anything goes wrong with any one of them, they notify you. And again, it's free. Great tip. <laughs> you know? Just think about that. Think about your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, you know, anybody. People just popped in my head as Joan was saying that. I'm like, I should probably send a message. Yeah, and, and just think about it. They, they leave surgery. Let's say they have a hip replacement. They leave surgery. They're, they're now focused on recovery and they may have physical therapy and blah, blah, blah. They also have like tons of paperwork, you know, okay. that they may understand and they may not or whatever, but it's just paperwork, okay. you know, but if they had a surgery 15 years ago, right. And there was a recall that ever happened and they've moved, let's say hypothetically. So they don't even get notified that there was a recall on their, on their replacement hip. And they go back to the hospital to say, Oh, well, Hey, I, I heard through the news that this, this hip replacement that I, I think I have in my body um, was recalled. Can you check that for me? If they had that 15 years ago, the hospital won't even have record of it. Right. Wow. So they will never know if they don't keep the paperwork. You know, so we're putting a lot of burden on patients around record keeping. Mm -hmm. Really, we should be supplying from a from a healthcare industry perspective. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, since 2018, I just did a quickie look up. Since 2018 till now, there have been 416 um, hip recalls. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> it is. 
Oh my goodness. And people are not thinking about those kinds of things. You, you know, they say have right. things, you know, ailments and whatnot. And it's, especially nowadays where we usually just take the next pill to kind of cover it up. And then eventually there's, a, you know, kind of a complication that, that requires them to go under, under surgery again, and, you know, under the knife again. And, and who knows if, if it even at that point that they recognize that it's a device, hopefully they, they've looked, <laughs> they've researched it and gotten your system in place to know at least, you know, effectively. So, yeah. And then there were 4,143 adverse events. Mm. So that's a great question, actually. So when a patient reports, so let's say they, it starts with them. At, at what point, I, I assume there's got to be a certain number per device or whatever percentage that says this is when we can take it back to the manufacturer or to, to actually request it to be recalled. At what point does that, can that take place, I should say? Well, that was changed with the current administration. Mm. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, you know, we have these, you know, like novel, we all know that word new right now because of the coronavirus and yep. we have novel virus. Right. Thinking, you know, novels used in medical devices too. Um, if let's say I have a Band-Aid um, and I have a coating on the Band-Aid and I'm saying, oh, that Band-Aid coating is really doing good on, on mending um, the tissue around the bone. I can go to the FDA and say, hey, can I take my Band-Aid, you know, my 10 cent Band-Aid, and now I wanna use it for the bone. Oh, sure, just do a 510K. <laughs> That's all that has to be done. Wow. So they get that novel use because the government wants innovation. Mm, understand. But at the risk of at the risk of health. Yeah. Impacting the patient. And also, yeah, and also within this regulation, wow. healthcare um, manufacturers are not held accountable. Kind of like what they're trying to do right now with um with this COVID stuff, where he's yeah. trying to add on something saying that the manufacturers aren't, aren't going to be held responsible, or the I think it's the meat packing companies or something aren't going to be held accountable. So it's it's taking the responsibility um, away from the person who really initially right. caused the held. Right. Oh, man. Wow. So wow. tell me a bit more about the advocacy piece. Like, so education, we talked about with the patients, letting them know about the, like the tool that you're partnering with. Um, what, what other kinds of things? I mean, I've, you mentioned quite a bit of, of involvement in, in some advocacy. I'd love to, to learn a little bit more about what you guys are, are doing there. I can take that. Um, I was going to kick it over to Joan, um, but um, I'll talk about one piece. Actually, I guess I won't because there's a little bit of a city. You guys are right. getting off the presses. Uh, they're not getting anything implanted. Exactly. We should, you should flag them down and make sure they're going to the right hospital that's used to your, your software. Um, yeah. I'll kick it over to Joan because I think she can talk a little bit more about like the, the work that she's specifically doing with the FDA um, and with some of the, the medical device learning communities and the support around that. But um, we are really excited because from, from the inception of our, of our organization, we've been hyper-focused on um, ensuring that, um, that we're able to impact um, the, the healthcare inequities that exist, not only you know, just within the industry, but most specifically within underrepresented communities and, and more specifically within communities of color. Uh, that is a personal passion yeah. of mine and Jones, and we built our company around diversity, inclusion, and equity, um, specifically to address that. So um, we are actually launching in the new year our, um, what we're calling our Accelerate Equity Program, which has three pillars um, that focuses on um, training, investment and access specifically for the healthcare industry. Um, and what that means for us is uh, from an advocacy perspective, you know, we're, we're not just uh, putting an application out there just for the purpose of profits. You know, we are a values-based organization that's providing real-time um, positive value to, to the patient experience, but we also want to give back to our community. So with this equity program, we will be, you know, providing, you know, education for, young minds to help invest in the development of the young minds that are out there that are considering a, a, a degree or a career in healthcare in whatever capacity. So we'll have more coming around that in the, in the new year, uh, but also, you know, making specific investments, 
you know, to help support, you know, those, those that are going to school or seeking a trade, etc. And, and the, 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 the spirit of, um, you know, of scholarships, you know, to ensure that we're able to help assist financially where we can and invest in those communities. But then um, more importantly, you know, looking at communities that are underserved and, um, and, and most specifically that are underfunded and providing our application in some instances, in most instances where that is the case, free of charge, specifically mm -hmm. for underrepresented communities that are already um, struggling as it is to, when it comes to healthcare equity and having the right tools and the resources um, and the supplies and the technology to ensure that those patients that are coming in for care are getting quality care. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when it boils down to budget, um, you know, technologies like ours kind of falls by the wayside, you know, because nurses today, doctors today are already writing everything out manually. So it doesn't make a difference if they just continue to do that, you know, when, you know, we can actually make a meaningful difference in the livelihood and the healthcare experience for the patients altogether. Oh, absolutely. Are you guys working at all with any um, federally qualified health centers or like rural health centers? Have you looked at in that space at all? We're exploring, um, we're exploring that, you know, quite heavily, you know, I think the the challenge that we have right now, um, you know, is the entire world is on pause and is doing what they can to fight COVID, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's, unfortunately, that's the, 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 the mountain we're up against, you know, so, um, you know, we're, we're hopeful that messages like this kind of get to the ears they need to hear it. Um, right. Hopefully with, you know, some vaccines that are, that are on the horizon. Um, and we can talk a little bit about the efficacy perhaps at another time of those vaccines, but, um, you know, but there is hope, you know, that in the new year, you know, we can return to somewhat of normalcy, at least from the healthcare perspective and bring, you know, our nurses back, our administrators back, um, start doing elective surgeries and things of that nature, you know, which will then warrant, you know, a, a further uh, look at solutions like ours, you know, to help support, you know, federally funded uh, healthcare facilities. Wonderful. Yes, I 100% understand what you're saying. The world's a bit on pause, especially for new ventures that are, aren't going to directly help them with their current challenge of COVID and just surviving COVID, basically. What's, when wild, what's wild is that, you know, it's not just COVID um, support that's happening in the healthcare facilities. You know, they are doing um, critical surgeries. And that's, where we, that's also where our, our solution comes in, mm -hmm. brings the most value. Right. You, know, you can ensure that when you are doing, you know, um, some kind of heart surgery or some kind of like significant open wound or whatever, that the supplies that you're using are not putting the patient at risk and opening up the healthcare facility for additional risk. Because, you know, let's face it, you go home and you, you just had like some kind of surgery and you're having all these complications. What are you going to do? Number one, you're going to you're going to seek help. And number two, you're going to call a lawyer because you're like, I'm going to sue the yeah. pants off of these guys for hurting me more than you know, than what I was hurting before. So, you know, it's, it's tough getting the message through with all the, you know, the, the noise of, of COVID, but, you know, again, you know, it's our responsibility to continue to beat the drum and right. to build the case and, you know, just again, you know, make impact where we can. I love that you still continue to do that hard work, even up yeah. against the challenges. Absolutely. So I'm kind of curious, so whenever there is, you know, adverse events, uh, you know, due to uh, a medical device and, um, and then at some point your system pick it up, um, do you feel that your, um, uh, that your services or your, uh, you know, scanning device, has that helped to mitigate lawsuits for hospitals or surgical centers? Oh, definitely, yeah. So, you know, because the minute we find out about that uh, recalled event, it's programmed in our system. So, you know, we had back last November when uh, another stapler recall, I think we had like, uh, there were 30 something um, stapler and suture recalls within a very short amount of time last year. So um, again, you know, we prevent that use, we stop it from being even used. So. It's, it's that stop of prevention, you know, gotcha. and that's where we really want to focus. So we stop that adverse event from happening, right? Um, if there is an adverse event in the facility, um, if you look at the, um, the MDR report that a physician would have to fill out, they would look at it and just go, yeah, I'm not doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So 
with our application, if something happens like a misfire, a misfire will know when right. they're suturing in the patient. It's not like they go, oh, let me do a sample fire. No, because all of the staples are, you know, right. one after another. So they staple, 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 staple. Um, so when we know there's an adverse event in the field, he'll say there's an adverse event. Our application's running right in the background because we've already scanned it. All yeah. the nurse has to do is highlight that, indicate it misfire, and then it goes and it sends it off to the quality department. We gotcha. notify the FDA and we notify the manufacturer because the manufacturer needs to know they, you know, yeah. the, what we do now, you know, we report the things so much after the fact, um, you know, I could go on about COVID and, and the, and the Pfizer immunization or the vaccine that was just approved, you know, because you have to look at what are all the steps to keep that adverse event um, from happening and how can you communicate efficiently and effectively when that is happening now, when you need to know, not a month from now. Absolutely. A month from now is not gonna do you any good. Just from a from a um, operations perspective, um, you know, you may have folks that are, you know, risk and quality and legal kind of like listening and whatnot. Here's just a couple of numbers just to, you know, kind of ground the conversation. Six, it, it's been reported that about $6 billion is spent every single year on recall medical device management, just wow. in recalls, $6 billion. Then now that's baked into your healthcare costs, right? Yeah. Because they have to recruit that and it's shared between the healthcare facilities and the manufacturers. What we also know is that on average, you know, the average lawsuit payout for, you know, like, um, a medium, a medium um, adverse event to something that could be that's not quite life threatening because life threatening you're talking about millions, but you know something that is adverse events that's that's causing a little bit more harm than than good. Uh, that can be somewhere around five hundred thousand dollars per lock per uh, per case in terms of just the payout, not the legal fees that are incurred by the healthcare facility and potentially the patient to in order to get to you know that that, that kind of solution. So you know. If we are able to prevent just one, mm -hmm. one bad item, one unsafe item every single year, and hospitals, these surgical centers are doing thousands of surgeries every single week. Right. So if we're able to do prevent just one, that pays for our application multiple times over. Right. You wow. know, so from a from a risk perspective, right? the hospitals and healthcare facilities and surgical centers are putting, are taking on more risk by not having our solution, even though there's a, you know, there's a cost up front to, you know, we're a business. So there's a cost to apply it, but the, the, the risk that you mitigate, right. You know, that is immediate and future, you know, um, is significant. And let's be clear, your frontline workers, your surgeons, your OR managers, your nurses, they never see the litigation, right? Mm -hmm. That's legal that sees that, right? That's legal right. that sees that. So, you know, all your healthcare workers are thinking about is I'm just doing my surgery and going to the next one, doing the surgery and going to the next one. Meanwhile, you have, you know, your CEOs, your COOs, your, your chief legal officers, your you know, heads of, of risk and quality and all of those that are looking at, you know, these lawsuits that are coming after because of these no novel solutions <laughs> that have been implemented or these medical devices that were purchased because, you know, we're in a pandemic and now we have to source through different sources. Yeah. And now we have things that are packaged like they are supposed to be packaged, but the the item inside of it is actually yeah. counterfeit because they're getting their medical supplies from different suppliers. Yeah. You know, this is a whole lot of risk that we could actually avoid for right. the healthcare provider and for the patient with a barcode scan. Yeah. Correct. Clear value. Yeah. Yeah. He's the biggest right now. You know, there's been a lot of removal of complete lines of manufacturers. Mm -hmm. uh, ECRI just did a study on some PPE and healthcare providers can actually send their masks to ECRI for testing because they're finding that they're between 20 and 35% effective, oh. not 95%. Interesting. Uh. Very interesting. Not to be doom and gloom. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. It's well, reality. It so is. It's right. reality. It's reality. Right. So that's what we all need to know. 
there's huge value in it what accelerate does that's the the bottom line there so for everybody because yeah it's saving saving lives i mean and what the providers and and our healthcare industries focused around you know try, it's just trying to support them right it's trying to make sure that they can do their jobs and not harm the patients unfortunately along the way or even themselves like with with the safety of ppe yeah absolutely Exactly. And, you know, one thing I wanted to say is that you know, I think about whenever an adverse event occurs, I think the beauty about your system is that it's going to show how the hospital or, or surgery center, how proactive they were in being able just to, you know, report that, right? I think that plays a big factor, um, you know, if a patient decides to sue, because sometimes, uh, you know, they always say, you know, if you know something wrong happened, report it because it shows that you're trying to show good faith, that you're trying to do the right thing and making sure that um, that it is, that the awareness is out there and you're trying to correct it so that it doesn't continue to, to happen and your system, it allows hospital systems and whoever use it to, to be able to do just that. So that's crucial. Yeah. And one thing just to add on that, um, I mean, look at where we are right now with COVID. Yeah. Um, yep. Reporting of adverse events mm -hmm. is going to be critical. Yeah. These are emergency use authorization products. Um, they're right now, again, they're in a very confined, controlled process, mm -hmm. um, especially like with the Pfizer one. There's a lot of, there's three different time limits within the Pfizer drug right? Because it has a, a diluent added to the, the drug. It has to be defrosted before the diluent's added. It has right. a time limit, two hours, 15 minutes, and then you can't use it after six hours. So if a patient has an adverse event, what could it be a result from? It could be a result at any one of those stages, right? right. In a controlled study, we're not going to have those added risk areas because they are doing everything within those time out those time limits. They have the right person pulling the medication. They're all multi-use vials. So on the Pfizer, it's five doses per vial. On the Moderna, it's 10 doses per vial. You know, so you have medical devices you're introducing. Can, uh, can a, a syringe or a needle be recalled? Oh, you betcha. Yeah. <laughs> can can the additive, the diluent that's being added be recalled? Yes. There were there's several recalls for the 0.9% sodium chloride. How do we know that it's not one of those? Or if we run out of one that's um, that we're purchasing and we have some on our shelf, how do we know that you know there's there's all these added um, risk points where sure. The healthcare provider, you know, if you go look at VARS, I welcome you to go look at VARS. Um, it's, there's, there's, there's two. You either do VARS on the computer and it'll take you about an hour to fill out the form, or you can download the PDF and then send it in. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> okay. Crazy. Downloading. And you can't even type into the PDF, right? It's like, yeah, download. Yeah. And it's no, not even. No. So we've, we've totally tooled our application in order to, um, you know, so now we're not only doing medical devices and biologics, but because vaccines are technically managed by CBER, mm -hmm. Center for Biologics, not CEDAR, Center for Drugs. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So yeah. they, you have to follow those biologic regulations. Gotcha. So our application does. When you go to a pharmacy, mm -hmm. what are they used to following? They're going to know CEDAR, mm -hmm. the Centers for Drugs. They're not going to know CEDAR as well. Gotcha. That's good to know. Very good to know. Yeah, thank you for offering those nuggets. That's, those are, that's very valuable information for us, everybody, as they're moving into this whole, the next uh, phase of, of COVID. <laughs> we roll out hey, the... You betcha. If I ever have to have surgery, I'm going to ask them, yes. have you checked that UDI on that on that device? I need a... <laughs> I need good a job. Good job. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, I, want, I want those those boxes so I can check my UDI. There you go. <laughs> check my own. <laughs> Regardless of whether you have insurance or not, you're paying a pretty penny for any kind yeah. of implantable oh. device. So yeah. at the very least, you should be able to come away with, you know, knowing what your UDI is so you can validate that 
Correct. Some peace of mind, right? Some peace of mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, guys, um, so one question I do have for you guys. So for your company is very innovative. And I think what you guys are doing, you're definitely pushing the envelope and, and, you know, you know, with what you're currently doing now. So as a healthcare disruptor, you know, what innovative approach has your company taken to change healthcare? Yeah, you know, for us, you know, knowledge and technology is key. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that, that we've learned is that healthcare providers have kind of put up with and kind of resonated with the fact that I just have to do it because I have to do it this way because this is the way that it is. And we're here to say that our impact in the healthcare industry is, you know, using technology in a way to mitigate, you know, the, 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 the pain points around documentation around, you know, the, the efficacy of your devices and really give you the capability to deliver the kind of quality care that most healthcare providers got into the industry in order to provide. You know, I, I can't think of a single individual that got into healthcare to say, I want to spend 25% of my time, you know, documenting, you know, right. multiple screens and, you know, filling out the same wow. information multiple times. Exactly. You know, most people that get into healthcare are doing it because they want to help other people. And we are disrupting the, that notion that you have to work harder in order to do that. Yep. No, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. So if companies, people want to hear more of, uh, of, uh, about this company or if they want to find your website, I mean, are you guys on social media? Please let our listeners know exactly where they can find you guys. Yeah. Um, so you can find us practically everywhere. Um, our website is www.excelrate.com. Uh, you can find us on social medias under accelerateudi.com. Um, and I, 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 let me rephrase that. Our website is www.excelrateudi.com. Make sure that, that was corrected. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and the same thing for our socials. You can find us there. But if you want to get in contact with us, just shoot us an email at info at accelerateudi.com. And, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, guys, thank you so much for being on Healthcare Disrupted. And I mean, you guys provided valuable information. I learned a lot. And I tell you, I'm going to be a different type of patient when I go to the hospitals, you know, they're going to be like, who have you been talking to? And, and uh, I'm pretty sure our listeners are going to gain a lot more insight about you guys, your company and what you can do. And uh, this has been a, a true pleasure to speaking with you guys and learning. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for having thank us. You guys. Thank yes. you so much for having us. Wonderful learning about, about Accelerate. Thank you guys so much for your time. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check back for new episodes of Healthcare Disrupted. Find out more at www.healthcaredisrupted.org. Until next time. <laughs>